You're listening to South Niagara Conversations, a podcast presented by the South Niagara Chambers of Commerce, along with 105.1 The River and 101.1 More FM. Here are your hosts, Dolores Fabiano and Chris Burns. Good morning, and thanks to everyone who's joined us for our South Niagara Conversation Series. For those of you who are tuning in from afar, we represent the communities of Fort Erie, Niagara Falls, Fort Coburn, Waynefleet, Welland, and Pelham. We're located in Southern Ontario, a wonderful place to live, work, and play. This morning, Chris Burns, owner of 105.1 The River and 101.1 More FM, joins me as my co-host. Good morning, Chris. How are you? Dolores, I'm fantastic. The sun is shining, and for the first time in several weeks, there is no frost warning tonight. Yay! We'll take that. And, And you just got in, right? Uh, sure. I was uh, I was working in uh, Denver and Las Vegas last week, so uh, I caught a flight home last night and everyone took off and landed on time, so here I am. Beautiful. We're happy to have you. I, uh, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, the Small Business Enterprise Centre, City of Niagara Falls. They're great supporters of our chamber and of our local business community. Chris, this morning we're going to discuss the premise of a new book called The Campaign, We have the author in the house, along with a few familiar faces. I think this is going to be one heck of a conversation, so let's get to it. Chris, who do we have joining us this morning? Well, this morning we welcome Craig Turner, author of The Campaign, Dave Meslin, author of Teardown, Rebuilding Democracy from the Ground Up, and Joanne Harrods, who's the Assistant Professor Political Science of Brock University. So welcome, everybody. Let's start with Craig. Craig, tell us about your book. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. And Dolores, thank you for the opportunity to, to be here. I've been on the podcast, I think this is my third time on the podcast, but oh. wearing a different hat every time. So it's a lot of fun. Um, so thanks again. Uh, yeah, the campaign is a, uh, in short, the story of the campaign is uh, about mankind's first run of artificial intelligence for office um, in the story uh, the, 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 the main character is a, is a, is a restaurant owner in a small town in upstate New York who, uh, uh, his friend, the mayor is, has asked him to, uh, uh, run for mayor as he retires. And it's, it's an, it's an easy win for him. And he's, if he can stay mayor as long as he wants to stay. Uh, meanwhile, at the same time in Washington, the Democrats are, have been pitched a, a, a new idea of running, a computer and artificial intelligence for office and and everyone's skeptical about it but at the same time they're like all right we'll throw some money at it pick some city where we have no chance and obviously they end up picking the city where this uh small town restaurant owner has an idea that he's going to be mayor forever and all of a sudden in an, uh, his his easy walk-in race turns into a globally televised event so i i have to say i you know, I, I was going to read the book regardless because, you know, your friend and oh, my gosh, he's written the book. I have to read it. Um, I thought, OK, how how, <laughs> how good is this going to be? I don't know about this premise. It sounds, you know, really out there. But it was a good book. It was well written and it, it really it really um, brought me in. Um, and so I really enjoyed it. First of all, I wanted to say that. And secondly, you know, the premise sounded so crazy. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to read the book anyways. But as I got into it, I I started thinking, hmm, well, like, maybe it's not so crazy after all. So I I want to, uh, you know, get Joanne and and Dave uh, into the conversation. 
how crazy is it? You, you, is it possible? Because sometimes the people that we have in office, you know, you, you think, um, hmm, anything could, could be better than that, right? So we'll start with you, Joanne. Thoughts? Um, yeah, I, I really, it gave me, I, I was thinking about um, that that idea um, when I, while I was reading the book and, and I thought about what, you know, and I thought, well, we're not, we're not quite there yet. And that's, you know, but the idea that they were just, that was a premise of the book too, was that they were just roll, literally rolling, you know, this, this, um, you know, this hard, you know, this, this box sort of thing and to show people that, that this person can make uh, decisions. And, and, um, and I think that, you know, the idea of technology is, is very much out there. And then just the idea of people who are interested in AI and, um, you know, that it could very well be a premise, but I'm thinking that, you know, that it's, it is something to, um, you know, to keep in mind. And I'm sure that some people are very, very eager to have that type of technology where there'd just be more information uh, put out to people, access to information. So, and there's other things I like to talk about, but I'll, I'll just leave it at that for now. All right, we'll, we'll get Dave's thoughts. Sure, I haven't had a chance to read the book yet. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, but I will say that uh, a few ideas. One is that in a way we're already doing this. Um, a lot of campaigning is driven by data, um, data experts who analyze that data through algorithms and software, and then tell the politicians what's going to resonate. And then the politicians, especially in Canada's very rigid, centralized, partisan environments, um, unlike the U.S., RMPs are almost all, I don't want to say puppets, but I'll say puppets, because um, I think they would admit it. <laughs> They have uh, speaking notes that are coordinated through central office. Um, and a lot of those strategies are developed um, not by policy experts, but by data analysts who are using mm. computers. So <laughs> maybe we're already there, except we've wrapped it up in skin and flesh on election day. Um, but, the, but the idea I like about it that I think we can all learn from actually has nothing to do with computers. But when we talk about AI, what we're saying is that there could be some kind of machine that could take all the data out there, take a complex issue, weigh the pros and cons, and come up with an answer. We're not even trying to do that now, <laughs> right? We expect politicians to go in already having the answers. So when people campaign, they rarely say, I'll be a thoughtful leader who will listen to both sides and try and come to... Mm. Uh, a decision using my own intelligence. What they say is, well, I'm on the right or I'm on the left or we need more immigration or less immigration. Mm -hmm. I know all the answers vote for me. And they fill stadiums by being that arrogant, overly confident, self-assured expert with all the answers. Mm -hmm. So we don't need artificial intelligence. We need intelligence. <laughs> and as voters, we need to start gravitating towards leaders who, who explicitly claim to not have the answers because you only get to the answers by being a good listener and computing data as an AI machine would do. And we are off to the races. I knew this was going to be a good conversation this morning. Mm -hmm. uh, you make such a great point because as I was reading the book, it was at that point when, um, Craig, you described you know, uh, that the AI, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't, would, would base its decisions on facts. And that's when I started thinking, huh, 
wow, wouldn't that be refreshing, right? Like you, you process all of the facts on both sides and then you make the best decision in that scenario. Like, wow, that's, that's almost unbelievable. And so Craig, what, what, um, what drove you to write this book? So Dave, Dave, your comments are right on. And, and thank you, Dolores, for that, for that question. Um, the, the one thing I do want to say, and this is part answer to, to your question, Dolores, is this is not a, and it was never intended to be a Terminator take over the world kind of book. This book, even though there's a tech, I call it not so science fiction component to it, is really about the campaign and, and people, about the uh, America's re- and the, the world's reaction to, to, the, to the whole concept. So a lot of what Dave just enunciated uh, is in the book, is in the campaign. The, the antagonist in the book is a former congressman who is running the, the campaign. And he's a very smooth talker. And a lot of the talking points that Dave just used, depending, no matter which side of the ball you're on, he uses them and you see him flow through the, through the, uh, uh, the conversation, actually build support for even people that are, as, as we're talking right now, going, Maybe this isn't a bad idea. So uh, I'm glad you enunciated as you're going. You probably saw me smiling on the, on the video here. What drove me to write the book is background in politics. Uh, you know, writing, writing. Uh, I've written two nonfiction books, which are about uh, running campaigns uh, for candidates looking for uh, running for office for the first time, local candidates. <clears throat> I've been doing political consulting for about 20, 22 years now. And um, uh, my heart is in local campaigns. That's what I'm, I've worked on everything from U.S. Congress all the way down to, you know, village trustee, but local campaigns are, and those are the people that need the most help. So that that's, that's what I like working with. Side note, as a political consultant, it's a terrible business because those people don't have any money. So, so, so if you find ways to do it, one of which way, one way is writing a fictional book about a, a, a sensational topic. Um, it's a funny story, actually. Uh, uh, some colleagues of mine, we were driving to a, a Chamber of Commerce event in Cleveland and just, you know, four guys in a car being stupid. And somebody came up and said, you know, I wonder if an AI could write a novel. And then somewhere in that conversation that came up like, well, what about running an AI for office? And I'm, you know, they're, they're laughing and I'm in the back seat writing notes down to myself and just started to put some words on paper. And it, and it, and it I really liked what I had. So it, it came it came forward and started to move. I will say, Dave, to, to some of your comments, there, there, there is a, there, there's a sequel to this, and then there's actually a trilogy, and I've got everything all outlined. But some of the stuff you talked about now gets into the next, because what, uh, uh, what, what you're talking, we, what we have here is the campaign. How do you convince people that this is a good idea? Well, if, there's more to that story after you know supposing that uh, and I'm not going to give anything away here in, in the in the for the end of the book but but you know assuming like any technology one thing happens shortly thereafter it it expands so so there's there's more to the story and it really is about uh, you know just kind of digging in and saying okay Dolores to your question where is the data how how are these decisions being made yes polling is based on data. And you would hope that some of the governmental decisions are based on data, but I think we've all seen a public hearing where four people show up and kill a, a very good project because there was no, uh, you know, support on the other side. So it's not all, not, not the decisions that happen in government always aren't always data driven. And the premise here is how do you take the emotion out of what's out of government decision making and really focus on data driven uh, uh, solutions? So 
Yeah. And one of the things that, that, um, you know, I'm old, so I've been around for a long, long time and, um, I I've seen through the decades, yeah, decades, um, you know, when I first started, um, in, in my career, people who ran for office were people who had been successful in their own right. You know, they, they had had a successful career. They were either business people or educators or what have you, but they were community leaders. Right. And, and, they they were able to make decisions based on a skill set that they had and today we're not seeing that like we're not seeing people who who have been successful want to get into politics because i think social media has has added to the fact that you know it's a it's an even uglier game than it ever was and while everybody should have the right to to run for office if they choose to do that we see that there are a lot of people who run for office and sometimes get elected who don't have any of the skills that they need to, to maybe um, digest the information that they're getting and, and making good decisions. And so, you know, when, when you look at that and what's, what's been happening, um, AI is maybe not such a bad way to go. Uh, Joanne, I want to take it back to you. You had said that maybe we're not quite there yet. Does that mean that we could get there? Well, I just, I didn't want to, I didn't want to sound like a Luddite. So I, I didn't want to think that, you know, but I think that, that there is a space for um, technology. I mean, even, you know, um, some of the debates that we're looking at, one of my colleagues at Brock University, Nicole Goodman, is very, um, um, and is expert on online voting, and the idea that even to generate more um, um, engagement, that uh, that online voting might be a way to engage more voters, and that um, that is currently some of the democratic deficit has to do with um, people. There's just voter turnout, as an example. So that there's you know that there's technology that can be used for that. It just seems as though people are um, you know governments are very slow in engaging with that te- technology. So we'll even see in the upcoming municipal elections here in Ontario, how many municipalities will move towards, you know, using online voting just as a, a convenience and perhaps as a way to uh, increase voter turnout. Yeah, well, I know that there was a lot of controversy. Uh, I don't know if it was the last election or the election before that municipal around mailing in ballots. We yes. won't talk about that, Craig, at all with you. But um, like, yeah, how do we get people more engaged? Because that's the other piece of it. While we can't get candidates to actually run, we can't even get people to vote. Uh, you, you know, as a chamber of commerce, we always host uh, debates. Like you said, I remember again decades ago, it'd be a full house. You know, mm-hmm. like like everybody wanted to come out and hear what the candidates had to say. Today, it's like you 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 get the candidates and their teams, and that's who shows up. And beyond that, like there's just such a, a lack of of interest. Uh, Dave, I'm going to throw it back to you because I know you've got some thoughts on that too. I have lots of thoughts on that. I'm trying to, I'm trying to pick two or three to focus on. So as you know, I'm, I'm very critical of our voting system. And I, I really think that the first past the post system that both the U.S. and Canada uses really contributes to that apathy in so many ways. And one of the simplest um, analogies is to think of the fact that both countries have essentially had two parties in power for a century which would be the equivalent of just having Molson and Budweiser. That's all you've ever got. Um, 
people are gravitating towards small brew, craft brew, because it's new and interesting and local. Mm -hmm. And when you just have this oligopoly of two parties, I mean, sure, we have the NDP and then the Greens, but I mean, if you actually look at who's held power, I mean, in Ottawa, it's only been blue and red. In the U.S., uh, red and blue. Um, and in Ontario, except for 1990, blue and red. So, I mean, what could be more boring? I mean, no one, no, no one would sign up for Netflix if there were just two movies to watch. So I think it's important not to blame the voters when we're using a system that is designed to perpetuate uh, a cartel. Whereas when you look at almost any other Western democracy, you'll have 10 or 15 parties in the legislature and the government is a stable coalition of four or five or six with way more women in power and people of color, more young people. We have no space for innovation. We have two dinosaur parties dominating both countries. Of course, people aren't going to show up to that debate. I don't show up to those debates. They're boring. We're being bored to death by a political landscape that is designed to exclude us. Yeah, you make a good point. A um, couple weeks ago, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, Chris, we, we had a podcast where we featured a couple of uh, local female politicians. And we really wanted to talk about, you know, women in politics and, and um, engaging more women. And we talked a little bit about the um, different cultures that that are moving into our communities and and um, and you, you know how do we engage those groups to not just vote but you know also run for office like how, how do we get them um, um, involved and and that's the the million dollar question right like it's um, it's not an inviting um, 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 what am I trying to say it's, it, it, it's it's not a place where people feel welcomed or comfortable. Um, and so how do we how do we flip that around so that it is open to anybody who has an interest, they can learn more and they feel a little more engaged. So even if they don't run, at least they are a little more educated on what the issues are, on who the candidates are, and uh, and they do vote. Craig, I'm going to come back to you because you were shaking your head a lot when Dave was speaking. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to... Uh, to uh, to speak, go ahead. I, I think the question that you're asking there at the end is, <clears throat> and this is this is me as a political consultant. I think it's, I think there's an opportunity here for candidates to uh, better connect with the with the people. Um, if people aren't showing up to debates and things, I mean, and, and we all know, we all know so many people that have just waved their hand at the whole process. You know, maybe they'll go vote on election day. Maybe they're just not going to bother with it at all because it's so angry and and uh, and uh, divisive. Um, looking at local candidates, there's a real opportunity there, and the, and the tools are there to see. If you go back to uh, Joanne talking about technology and how to reach voters, and and with social media, with YouTube, with uh, uh, you know, even depending on your demographic, TikTok, and and the different platforms that are out there. You really can reach your your audience and and connect with them, and I think that's a great opportunity for local candidates. I think it's a, I would call it a responsibility for higher level candidates. Though I don't think they're necessarily going to do that uh, because of the the system that that Dave talks about. It it is what it is, um, <clears throat> and until there's systemic changes made in in both countries, to tell you the truth, uh, there's not really too much way around it. Um, the reason I use the word responsibility is because there are 
there are candidates out there and elected officials that are very charismatic and very, very good at what they do and they, on both sides. And they've been able to create a following and, and um, it's not always based on issues and it's not always based on data. It's based on personality and it's based on pop. And uh, you know, which is why you look at um, uh, <clears throat> celebrities that end up running for office. Um, I don't want to take away from all of them because some of them are very good community stewards and, and, and do a great job, but some of them run for office and they're running on their name. They're not running on mm-hmm. their issues. And, and, you know, it happens every year. Um, but I think, you know, looking back at, you know, where this book is focused on, on local, local politics, there's an opportunity here for people to, for, for people running for office to create a stronger connection with their constituents and make them feel like they have a voice and they, and they are more involved. And then it's their responsibility if, and when they win to, to carry that out, um, I think the best candidates are going to do that, just like any brand that's out there right now, whether you're, whether you're Coca-Cola or Elon Musk or, or, uh, or whoever, you have an opportunity to connect with. I don't, if the, the Elon Musk thing is fascinating right now mm-hmm. uh, with, with Twitter. Forget the politics of it. Forget the whole thing. If you just follow him on Twitter and see how he's connecting with his audience, it's unbelievable. Now, he's Elon Musk. He's got a huge amount of followers, but he's not, he's not posting high-level um, uh, rhetoric and things. He's posting very, very personal. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm thinking. This is, and it's a great lesson for for candidates to say, look, here's here's a way here's a way that I can better connect with the the people in my community, whether it's a district, a town, a city, or or you know a state assembly district. It's it's there's the the tools are there to do it. And if mm-hmm. if you're not taking advantage of it, I think it's uh, you're missing out on something. Absolutely. I, I've just come back from uh, the National Association of Broadcasters annual conference in Las Vegas. And I can tell you that big data and AI was uh, very much in the forefront um, in a lot of those booths uh, where they're actually using uh, and uh, harvesting the big data, particularly for news talk radio stations and television stations to try and really get a feel for uh, what people are thinking and it's helping them shape questions when they're getting to the interview stage. So, uh, you know, even in media, AI uh, is, is being used. And believe me, if you walk into a supermarket, um, you know, there's a lot of data being captured uh, there to determine where to put product right. and, mm-hmm. and, and how to place it to actually uh, get more uh, people to buy products. So really big data and AI is is already a reality. Um, but the question I, I guess I want to go back and ask is, you know, as you wrote this book and, and, and thought about it, what scared you the most? That's a great question. It is, it is scary. It's, you know, I said, I said, it's not a Terminator take over the world thing, but it could be. I mean, I'm a, I'm 48 years old. I'm a child of the eighties In the eighties, they told us that robots were going to take over all of our, all of our jobs. And, and now, you know, and they're like, no, that's ridiculous. But now in 2022, especially with the worker shortage, you see all companies moving towards some kind of automation for things. And it's not always robots, but it's a website or it's, it's better processes and, and things. So, um, so that, and that's obviously a topic that comes up in the story is, um, is uh is the the concept of robots taking over jobs and here's one that if you sit back and think about it you're like human decision making is one that you can't really take over but 
I, we found a way, we found a way that you, that you can. So uh, that, that would be it. I mean, it's just looking at, as you're writing, as I was writing this, just looking at the sheer vastness of, of, of what this could mean, should it play out in, in a certain way. And, and you, the book really was referred to as, as science, not so fiction. Right. So do you think that's something that we might see in our lifetime? So I, I, I would, I would put money on it probably. So as I was writing the book, I, I started the book probably about four years ago and wrote it over the, the, the space of about 18 months. <clears throat> and, you know, I, working in politics for 20 something years, there's obviously a lot of me in this book. So there's story, there's not exact stories and the people aren't the same and everything, but there's a lot of similar stories. At, at one point when I was, I think the book was done, but I was editing it. There was an article about a group in, in uh, the Middle East that, that, is trying to create a a, uh, an, a a a computer that could run for office, but that's all I ever saw about it was that one article. I keep it on Google Alerts because I needed to know as I'm writing this. Um, the other, but but I never saw anything else. So I, I would put money on it that that it's going to happen at some point. The other funny thing to your question, Chris, about the uh, you know writing a, a science fiction book in in reality is that I'm, I'm trying to be true to life too. So, uh, so all the election rules and everything in New York are all the dates are all exactly as they are in real life. But what happened was, as I was writing the book, Governor Cuomo changed the election calendar. So typically the primary election in New York state was in September and then the general election in November for all, for all races. They moved the primary date to June, which meant the petition process was now in February and March. The premise was match it up with all the school elections and save money that way. Um, it, changed, it changed the entire book because if you can imagine from a creative process and a dramatic process, having a primary election in June and now having five months until the, until the general election is not the most dramatic thing in the world. So I had to retire to change the whole book. And actually I have a colleague of mine, uh, an attorney, I'll, I'll name him Scott Marchant, who did a great job at helping me figure out legalities of everything there and actually come up with it. With I, what I believe is a, is a pretty compelling uh, way to get from June to <laughs> June to November that I hadn't planned for at the beginning. So that was just a kind of a funny little anecdote that came out of this. Do you have an idea for a small business? Maybe you're trying to grow a business that you've already started. Whatever the case, the Niagara Falls Small Business Enterprise Center is a community service that is here to help. Offering entrepreneurs the tools to start and grow their businesses, the Small Business Enterprise Center is your one stop for free business information and advice. Serving Niagara Falls and South Niagara, learn more about how we can help you and your business succeed at niagarafalls.ca slash SBEC. So Joanne and, and Dave, um, this happens. How does it affect democracy? What's the impact? Oh, if um, yeah, well, I think one of the questions that I that when I was reading the book that I thought about was the fact that the mayor, you know, had this information that the mayor was the one who had, you know, and I thought, what about what about staffing? What about you know um, municipal staffing as an example? Why can't they have, or, or they do have? I mean, there's a lot of experts that work for municipal government, and they do give briefs and information to to the elected councillors. So how is how is having all the information within the mayor um, 
you know, so essential. And one of the things, and another question that I had was um, just the role of a mayor within, when I'm looking at, let's say, Canadian side, is that a mayor has one vote. So um, in, in any decision that's being made. Uh, so even though um, somebody could elect a mayor and they could have all this information, what about what happens when it, you know, comes time to making a decision? that we know that even from the staffing point of view that they can advise council and council doesn't always take their advice that we could have the most, the smartest mayor in the whole wide world, but council might not um, follow on their advice. So that was one of the questions that, that I had. And I really was, you know, that it, that sort of lingered in the back of my mind when I was, when I was reading the book. Yeah, that's a great point. And Joanne, just quickly, I'm glad you're asking those questions and I can assure you, I have pages and pages of notes on those two questions. <laughs> yeah, but it but it is, but I think that's what the book does is it really generates a lot of discussion as to, you know, municipal government and thank you for that Craig because I think it's so important uh what happens at the local level and uh just, you know, putting and and just how you actually um created that um, you know, um created a scenario where we had a you know the most intelligent mayor in the world, right? But um, and how and how all that involved uh, evolved. We're running, I should say, running for mayor, but and how all that evolved. And I'd I'd say as, as simple a question as in in many uh, you mentioned um, a mayor has a vote in many in many municipalities. A mayor doesn't have a vote. Right. A mayor only comes in as a tiebreaker. But the simplest question that I have probably my first page of notes is. In many municipalities, the mayor actually has to run a legislative meeting. That's the role of the mayor. So how does how does that play out? So, mm-hmm. so do you think you could, you know, I guess a question for all three of you. Do you think you could ever see yourself mm-hmm. actually uh, voting for an artificial intelligence led uh, party or organization or mayor? Mm-hmm. Who's going first? Go to Dave. Wow. My, my head's going in so many directions. <laughs> I, w- I would like to vote for an intelligent candidate. And if the only choice is a robot, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, if everyone else is, is platforming on pretending that they know all the answers and there's one candidate who is claiming that they'll process data to find the best answer, then they've got my vote, whether they're a Democrat, a Republican or a robot. Yeah, I want thoughtfulness. I want people to not have the answers until they figured it out. I also don't believe that we necessarily need leaders whose job is to find all the answers. There's a lot of room for variations of direct democracy in between mm-hmm. elections. And this is something too that has come with the, the, the modern age. We expect systems to be responsive and two-way and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Participatory, mm-hmm. right? Um, So the whole idea of an election, I think, is actually getting a little antiquated, that once every four years we just pick these representatives and then we have no role. I think people will look back on that as a little prehistoric at some point, that, oh, yeah, back my grandparents' politics was just once every four years you'd stick a piece of paper in a box. Wow. They they completely disengaged themselves on all the other days of the year from decisions that affect the world around them. What, what a strange time that must have been. Yeah. I've also, I also have a section in my book where I, I genuinely, you know, kind of tongue in cheek, but not really. Uh, I take an academic approach to it. And I ask the question, why do we have mayors? 
if we elect a council that is a group of people who come together to discuss and debate issues and, and then vote and the majority wins, why do we also elect a singular executive position? And I went back to like, uh, all the philosophers uh, who wrote about, you know, separation of powers, executive, legislative, and a lot of their reasons don't really apply anymore. I actually couldn't come up with a single solid reason why a parliament needs a prime minister, why a Congress needs a president, and why a council needs a mayor. I think it's literally a remnant of medieval times. We're still culturally attached to the idea of the monarch even though the U.S. literally overthrew a monarch and the founding fathers did everything they could to make sure that no part of the U.S. system could ever resemble a monarch. Um, we just, we've gravitated back to monarchy. The prime minister is supposed to be first among equals. No one sees him that way. A mayor is supposed to be one vote without any additional powers. No one sees them that way. And the president is supposed to be an almost... Um, managerial role of executing the will of the legislative branch. Presiding, the word president comes from preside. You're presiding over the execution of someone else's decision. Executive orders were supposed to be used maybe once or twice a year, only under like really extreme circumstances. So we've actually devolved politically back to where we were 800 years ago. So do we elect the robot as mayor or a human? That's an interesting question, but why are we still trying to find the best mayor? Like, why are we still waiting for Moses to lead us through the sea? It's really childish. Craig, I hope you're making a lot of notes. Well, it's, it's interesting, uh, uh, Dave, your point is we, we see that, we actually see that here in Western New York because Erie County where Buffalo is and Niagara County where Niagara Falls is, um, both have legislatures, uh, but Erie County has a county executive and Niagara County uh, uses a county manager. There's no executive in Niagara County. So we see it and, and you see the differences in, in government, the differences in vision. And it's there's pluses or minuses to both, I think. But uh, but it, it's an interesting juxtaposition on how how things get get done in, in Western New York. Joanne, what's, give you what's an your opportunity? Thoughts? Yeah, oh, I, I do agree that there is, you know, that we tend to. Um, promote the role of the mayor within municipalities in this, in this conversation. But yeah, there is something to be said for um, just how, how the process works and whether or not um, it should be revisited or with the role of council as well. Um, it, there are, even in, in Ontario, there's, um, there's strict rules as to how councils actually can conduct themselves and how they can work at, um, you know, running government. So it is, it is very good topic of conversation. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of funny, everything in our world has evolved, right? Everything changes quite regularly, except for that. We, we've been doing it the same way for as long as I've been alive, for as long as I can remember, but nothing else is the same, <laughs> right? Yeah, is and a, a fun way to look at it is like, think of the last time you upgraded the operating system on your phone, and when the last time we upgraded the operating system of our democracy. And for some reason in every other area, we, um, we love the idea of innovation and disruption. We, we, we champion and cheer for the new startup who's gonna try something new. And in politics, we love the idea of tradition. Everything's supposed mm -hmm. to look old and feel old and a mayor wears like a chain of office and there's a, a ceremonial mace 
And there's almost this weird obsession with not changing it, which in any other context in our lives, people would think you're crazy. It's like, oh, there's a, there's a better dishwasher out. Well, let's just keep the old one because grandma had it, you know, like in no other context, except maybe the legal system, which also has a lot of weird theatrics of, you know, we don't have the wigs anymore, but like (laughs) um, uh, embracing archaic tradition at the expense of innovation. And it's a huge problem. Yeah. Yeah. Let me jump in. Let me jump in on, on Chris's question about what I vote uh, because it, it, I've obviously I've been asked this before. The um, remember the first time that you found out that when you're on a plane, the pilot takes off and then turns it over to a computer for most of the flight and then takes control back in time to land. It just it just blew your mind. You thought the pilot was up there piloting the whole time, and you're, you're turning your you know the life of 180 people over to a over to a computer. But over time, we got we got comfortable with it, and there's even benefits. You've we've all met people in our lives. Mm-hmm. We know that people are fickle. We know that people get sick. We know that people have tantrums and have bad days and things. And you're like, well, maybe I feel okay with a computer flying most of the plane. I think that's kind of where, where I am. I think if there was an election today, no, I, I wouldn't vote for, I wouldn't vote for a, uh, a, a computer or an artificial intelligence, but I, I think as it evolves over time, you're going to see more and more justification for it. I mean, take out, you look at corruption and you look at, uh, uh, again, I, I talk about the, uh, 11 people showing up and shooting down a project. Well, if, if there was actually uh, volumes of data to, to show that, you know, 1 million people want the project and those 11 people are the only people that don't want the project. I think there's something to, to say for that. I wish, I wish the human politicians sometimes had a little more courage to, uh, uh, to face down those 11 people, but they, but they don't. Um, and I understand why, because they're usually pretty loud and they can, they can cause a lot of uh, fear, but um but I think as, as time goes on, uh, to be able to see the, uh, uh, some of the benefits in, in doing it, I, I think it's real. And, and um, it'd, be, it'd be hard to argue against it. It's interesting, you know, you've, you've got what was the, the mayor of London, who's now the prime minister of England. You have, you know, a comedian who played a prime minister or, or a president who's now leading, you know, the country of Ukraine. So, you know, sometimes when that mayor is in the spotlight, uh, they use that spotlight uh, in various ways. And, uh, you know, the, we ha- it is what we have, to, you know, today. Uh, earlier, you were talking about different, uh, you know, processes to elect people. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's lots of countries in the world that, that do it differently than the US and, and Canada. The country that I was born in, New Zealand, in 1996, uh, d- went to, after a referendum, they actually went and asked the people what they wanted and gave them several different options. And, and, and what they voted for was what's called mixed member proportionate mm-hmm. voting. And uh, lots of books have been written about it and there's lots of... Uh, opinions as to whether or not that's a a good idea or not. But what's really happened in that country is it's gone away from the two-party system. And now, Mm. you know, almost every government that they've had has been a minority government 
and has been proven to actually be a lot more effective. Um, and by the way, a New Zealand prime minister who's a female um, who uh, you know has has done a great job. The, the, the final question I guess I wanted to throw out was you know you know in this book uh, the AI entity is championed by the Democrats. Um, and so, Craig, why the Democrats? Why did you choose that party? Was there a reason behind that? Thinking about this from the beginning, I, I really felt like I could have gone both ways and justified it very well. I think I think I ended up on the Democrats because thinking about Silicon Valley and uh, you know the progressive nature there, that there's there's probably a little more link to it. I think I think on the on the Republican side, the conservative side, to think about this whole concept of data-driven government and smaller government um, that's making decisions in a different way. Uh, I think that that would play on, on that side as well. But, it, but in the end, it, it really was the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the left-leaning nature of the tech industry that really kind of, uh, kind of pushed me that way. But, but in the end, it could have, I think it could have gone either way. One of, one of the reviews on Amazon says I was kind of heavy handed, uh, on the on the on the conservative side as i'm writing this and i i've kind of felt that because you know like here because i'm like i don't think i did that in there i just i i mean i mean dolores and, and joanne i maybe, maybe you see it differently than i did but i i took pretty painstaking efforts i mean my my background is 20 years ago I was with the republican party i worked i worked for the i worked for the county legislature on the republican side but after that, I worked for the Chamber of Commerce. And you, as Dolores knows, you can't work for the Chamber of Commerce and be partisan. You just can't do it. You have to work with everybody. And uh, I, you know, it took, it took a few years, but I shed the fact that I came out of the Republican side. And, and I think now, I mean, I, I work very well with, with people on both sides of the aisle uh, here in Western New York and, and get a lot done. You know, one of my, uh, one of my, uh, in fact, the, 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 uh, the acknowledgments in the back of the book are, are there's people from Republican and Democratic Party in there because I, that those are the relationships I've built and and I'm and I'm and I'm happy with it. But but in the end, it could have gone either way. But it was just that it was that tech piece of it that kind of steered me to the uh, to the Democrats. Oh, thank you. Really interesting book, and uh, I hope a lot of people uh, you know hope a lot of people go out and buy it, and perhaps it might uh, uh, you know resurrect some interesting debates. Uh, as you know, there's been you know a lot of talk about uh, about using electronic voting, um, mm -hmm. and you know particularly in the U.S., people have come out against it and said, "Oh my gosh, what happens if the power goes out?" Or you know perhaps it could be hacked by a foreign entity. Um, and in fact, that was one of the you know accusations made in the in in, in the last election, as we we all know. But you know the reality of walking down to City Hall to cast a vote. Uh, you know, someone said it earlier, it seems to be kind of an archaic process. And, and so hopefully, as, as we move forward, there may be new ways of uh, engaging people and new ways of, of, of casting votes. Because, you know, what really strikes me is the people that have the most impact over our day-to-day -day lives are actually the local bodies, the local politicians. And yet that is always the lowest voter turnout uh, which just seems insane, unless there's one thing that happens that um, you know motivates a uh, uh, you know a population to go do something. In in one of the other markets where I own a radio station, uh, the mayor is uh, being accused of of a crime. Um, not yet uh, had his day in court, 
and not yet been found innocent or guilty. But if you read all the comments on social media, it would appear that more people are determined to go out and vote in this next election in the hope that they say uh, we'll end up with um, a better quality uh, individual uh, wearing that mayoral chain. Uh, so there's an example perhaps where, uh, you know, the actions of one person being the mayor has really motivated a community to say, gosh, darn it, we're going to do something about this. I will say, Chris, too, real fast, too, uh, in your, your comments about hacking and things like that, uh, one of the things that does come up in the book to Joanna's, Joanne's list of questions is uh, the whole concept of the Wizard of Oz man behind the curtain. So I talked about the plane. Pilot turns the plane off, the plane flies a certain place. Well, someone has to tell the computer, the AI, to do that. So the question is raised that if you have this AI that's churning data and running a small city, who's telling the who's telling the computer what to do? And it actually turns in in the book as 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 Dolores and Joanna actually turns into a little bit of a battle um, in the book uh, as far as how to how to navigate that. But um, but that's that's a piece of it. There's you have a system like this. Yes, there's hackers out there. Yes, it's it's never just totally data driven. There's always some somebody designed that computer and wrote the algorithm. So that that all needs to be explored. Obviously, as these as these questions come up, it's a great book. And uh, where can people get the book? Tell our listeners, Greg. So uh, Amazon.com or Amazon.ca. If you just search for Craig W. Turner, uh, it, it, it'll it'll come up. Great. Well, Craig, thank you so much. It was a fascinating conversation. Dave and Joanne uh, really uh, valued your insights today and uh, I really appreciate you being with us. Dolores, what's planned for next week? Yeah, next week we're going to uh, discuss the major post-pandemic shifts in the changing employer-employee relationship, loss of stress over changing expectations, Joining us for the conversation will be Vivian Kennard. She's the CEO of Niagara Workforce Planning Board. John Cannon, he's the Human Resource Manager for On-Demand Staffing. And Dr. Dave Bouchanouche, uh, he's a Professor of Organizational Behavior and Human Resource Management at Brock University. To all of our listeners, send us the topics that you're talking about because we want to talk about them too. Thanks again for tuning in and have yourselves a wonderful day.